0: I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future that is Jeremiah 29 verse 11 one of my favorite hope filled scriptures I'm your host Sandra Flack thank you for joining me today I am excited to bring you another inspiring adoptive mom guest today but first be sure to check out our special series of episodes with Dr. Jared Brown, PhD. Dr. Brown specializes in trauma, FASD, autism, forensics, and traumatic brain injuries. I am recording a series of special episodes with Dr. Brown, focusing on topics of particular interest to us adoptive and foster parents, topics such as prenatal trauma, complex trauma, attachment, FASD, screen time, inappropriate sexual behavior, and so, so much more. Regular episodes of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast drop into your inbox, onto your device on Mondays, but these special bonus episodes with Dr. Brown drop on Fridays and you won't want to miss them. So they're they're all in our lineup and the bonus ones are just labeled bonus. um, So you'll know which ones they are. I hope you check them all out. Uh, If you are an adoptive or foster parent or caregiver of an individual prenatally exposed to alcohol or other substances, be sure to check out all of our resources on our website specifically for this parenting journey, including our new Hope for the FASD Journey support community led by myself and Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope podcast. Uh, To check out the resources, to sign up for the community, um, just visit our website, justicefororphansny.org, and uh, we will have links in the show notes for this episode as well. Now to our guest, Katherine Mainhart. Katherine is a licensed social worker, a biological foster and adoptive mom, and TBRI practitioner. She has worked in the field of child welfare for over 20 years. Kat has been, uh, she became a foster parent in 2012 with a primitive understanding of fetal alcohol syndrome but became an expert by necessity. Sounds very familiar. Uh, she co-founded the Kansas FASD Support Network in 2021. Catherine currently resides on a small homestead in the Topeka area with her husband and eight of their 11 children, some of whom she homeschools. And we're going to talk about all of the things. Please welcome Catherine Mainhart. Hey, Cat. Hi, how are you today? I am great and excited for our listeners to hear your story. Um, Unlike many of us, you came to foster care and adoption with some professional experience as a licensed social worker, um, have one biological son, uh, but went on to foster and adopt. So let's start at the beginning, really. What led you to become a foster parent? Well,
1: you know, it's, it's funny. I never planned on fostering or adopting my biological son actually had a dream when he was three um, that we adopted him a brother and we went to an orange house and picked him up and all this. I mean, very elaborate, detailed, vivid dream that he had. And he kept telling me and he'd bother me. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm single. It's you and me. We're good. I can manage one. Um, Fast forward, um, we experienced some some major trauma and and separation in our lives, and so in honor of what was upcoming to be his tenth birthday, I decided to become a foster parent um, and kind of honor that dream that he always had because I didn't know where he was at that point. Um, spoiler alert! And I'll just jump to the we are reconnected now, um, <laughs> but. And, and so it's, it became good. And actually that was, that was 10 years ago um, that I became a foster parent. So been doing this for quite a while.
0: Wow. And that's probably one of the most interesting stories I've heard as to why <laughs> one becomes a foster parent, but, but inspiring, right? God works it out in all different ways to call us to this space. Um, so that, that is pretty cool. Uh, So tell us about your first foster placements.
1: So my first foster placement, um, well, my first long-term placement, because my first placement came and it was like a police protective custody. I hadn't even had an email copy of my license for like two hours when they called, you know, for the first time. (laughs) But for my first long-term placement, um, it was two two boys. They were six and seven. um, And... They had a litany of, of diagnosis, ADHD, ADD, oppositional defiance, you know, like it just went on and on. And it was funny because as my worker called and said, hey, have you read this? And, you know, I, I think this would be great. The kids had already been in care for six months, but they were shutting down the foster home that they were, were at. And I was like, OK, yeah, it sounds good. And, and then she's like, oh, by the way, um, you know, they have this problem or they have that. I'm like, that's good. It's no problem. I'm good no big deal. And, um, one day she calls me, she said, Oh, by the way, I just want to let you know, the six-year-old, he was just suspended 11 out of the last 15 days as kindergarten. And I just laughed because I thought, my gosh, what could a kindergartner do to get suspended? Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> bad. Kid He's like this little thing. I was like, that's all right. No problem. You know? So that was my, my first, um, long-term placement. And, and they're still here. Um, they uh they were a lot of fun put mm. it like, <laughs> there's a difference you know everybody gets talks about parenting and i'm like you know there's a difference when you go from 1 to 2 um and then like i don't know after like 3 it just didn't, it's no big deal
0: <laughs> yeah yeah totally cuz we went we went from 3 to 4 to 7 to eight. So yeah, after three, it's like, just, you know, come on in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. And at that point, because, because you were a social worker and I know we'll get, we're going to talk a little bit more about FASD as we, as we roll, but um, as a social worker, you knew something or anything. Oh, what did you well, know about FASD?
1: I, I knew in my classes, I actually filled out, I did not want to parent a child with um, FAS, FASD, none of it. Like I didn't even want to, didn't even want to go there. And the reason why, um, is because my biological son was actually, um, assaulted at one point in time. Um, and I knew that that teenager, um, was on the the FASD spectrum. Um, and so I was like, I'm just not even dealing with that again. Yeah. Don't want to go there. Um, and all the struggles and things that go with that. Um, So I clearly was not parenting. Right. That, that was my statement. Oh, but God, right. We don't tell God we're not. Yeah. 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 (laughs) yeah, No, he stuck these boys in, you know, and I didn't really know, like I knew very surface information. Like I didn't know, like I know now, number one, misdiagnosis, ADHD. Yeah.
0: Yes.
1: I didn't know. I was pretty naive still at that point about, about it. Wow. So
0: so the two boys came.
1: Two boys came. And- and we were living in a um two-bedroom apartment. And so like I gave up what was the master bedroom. So that was a bigger bedroom for the, the two of them, and I was in the other room, but um and then you know they were actually a sibling set um of four. They have a full sister and they also had a half brother who was living with maternal grandparents. So I ended up buying a house so I could move their sister in. Um, so that was about a year later. Um, and so bought my house, the, um, their little brother stayed with, with his paternal grandma. Um, but, but I did, you know, other placements, other, um, short-term, long-term placements. And then, um, I had a friend of mine who actually, um, made a Facebook post, reposted, um, a listing from an organization that special angels adoption, they were an advocacy group at that point in time. And it was, they were looking for a, a parent who could parent this newborn that had clubbed hands and feet. And I thought to myself, that's easy. That's just surgery. Like, <laughs> I could do that, right? So I just like send off my my home assessment thinking like really what what's gonna come up on Facebook post, right? Um and so at that point in time, um they ended up finding another family for that little guy. And I was like, Okay, that's fine. And and I was heading out to a friend of mine's house for vacation for a little bit and um they called me back and said, hey, remember this little guy? Um, We would like to re-present you to the parents if we could. And I was like, well, sure. And so I like hung up the phone and I thought, okay, God, I'm willing, and this is like real now. Um, So if you want this to happen, it needs to go very smoothly, very quickly, and very inexpensively. And literally by the time I was at my friend's house, we were driving across Kansas, which is like a six hour drive. Um, So like two or three hours later, the hospital social worker was back on the phone with me with the agency saying, can <laughs> you Wow. And so I was on vacation for a week. I got all my home assessments from my agency. I got everything organized. Um, went back to work after vacation and asked for FMLA. <laughs> 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 I had a baby. Um, so that was my, that's my now seven-year-old Nathaniel. Um, wow. He was, he was actually born with a condition called APERT syndrome. So he has craniosynostosis, you know, all the platelets of his skull were fused at birth. And he has syndactyly of the hands and feet. He had a cleft palate and some other things. But so we've done a lot of surgeries with him. Um, But that was my my next little guy. Of course, my first three were slightly offended that his adoption was done before their adoption yeah, kept- I
0: was going to ask you, cause you, mm-hmm. you did adopt the three, the first three. Yeah, I
1: did, but not yet, you know, like at this point they're still in foster care and we're still running this whole, um, process, you know? And so, but they got to be a part of me picking out Nathaniel's name and, and all of that. So, um, he was probably not quite, he was not quite a year when we were able to finalize the adoption on the other three. Wow. Um, and that was a. That was a long process um, because, you know, our system is what our system is. And sometimes yeah. when you're advocating as a foster parent and doing exactly what we are supposed to do, we make people mad, but, but that's okay. It's all about the kids and, and I still advocate that way. Yeah. So yeah, that, that made four, um, permanently, um, part of my family at that point. Wow. Wow. Four. So we got four. Single, uh, working full time. wow at that point but then when when nathaniel he needed a a pretty major cranial surgery um at a year old i was fortunate i worked for the state at the time so i could take him to work up until six months so he went to work with me um and then was in daycare for six months but then about a year old he needed major cranial surgery and that's when i decided um i'm gonna stay home i could do it um you know with the kids working disability and things like that and then i started kind of doing some consulting. But that was when I decided, okay, I'm going to stay home. He's going to get his surgery. I'll be able to focus on them. I'll focus on the three to make up the gaps because at that point I did have their diagnosis. Um, but we'll talk about that. And I know for sure.
0: Wow. Yeah, for sure. And I, I know along the way you did become an expert on FASD and trauma, but before we get into those weeds, of course, um, let's bring the rest of the kids home. Cause there's like 11, including your biological son. Yeah. Um, and And so that's, that was like 2015
1: is when Nathaniel was, was born. So that's, yeah. um, So how did everybody else come home? So then, um, about let's see, he's four. So almost four years ago, well about four years ago. Um, I had another foster parent in the area that was looking for day respite for a little guy who was about, I don't know, six, seven months old. She works from home. She needed day respite. <coughs> and um so she we connected and she said he really doesn't like a lot of people. So let me bring him over and meet you. I said, Okay. So we did. And she said, I'm sorry, he screams. He has that neuro scream from you know, he was substance exposed. Um he was actually still addicted to five illegal substances at birth on top oh, wow. of, you know, alcohol that mommy was, um, I said, it's okay. It's not a problem. I have had some, some, I had one kid who was kind of feral and screamed like I, you know, it's no problem. And she would check in on me every day as I was doing a day rest. Are you doing okay? Is he fine? I'm like, yeah, he's fine. He screams, but it's not his fault. It's no big deal. You know? And, and so, um, I think she was surprised at that, <laughs> but then one day we were talking and she proceeded to ask me, um, are you related to Stephen Amblin?" I said, yeah, that's my brother and sister-in-law. And she said, they have two of his cousins. Would you ever consider being placement for him? I'm not an adoptive resource. And I know they are an adoptive resource for the two boys that are placed in their home. And um, I was like, well, I thought I was done, but sure. <laughs> so then along came came Solomon so that made me um a single mom of six um because of course at this point my biological son still wasn't in the home so I had five at at home and then about a year later um along came Solomon's little brother and and he moved in with me so um when I met my husband I actually had seven kids in the house um and one out of the house I had my I had my four that were adopted and I had three fosters at home when I met my husband. Wow. And he was braved. <laughs> you know, I always was like, you know, here I am. I was 48 years old and I'm like, okay, God, I'm kind of running out of time and options here. So you better send somebody to church that has a heart for orphans, you know? Um, and it's really funny. We did not meet in church, but we have a lot of mutual friends and um, you know, our first date, was ended up being a three-hour dinner you know because we were just having great conversation and and lo and behold he's an adoptive dad he has two children that are adopted so um i was like hey good one you know and Mm -hmm. so we um actually got married last october and as our two-week anniversary gift we got placement of solomon and abraham's biological little brother because that's what everybody wants is a brand new baby for a two week anniversary gift is really <laughs> <newlyweds>, what
0: <right>? wow <laughs> so that was he's he's number 11 goodness so so there's 11 altogether. is yeah. that right okay yeah. so, so we and-
1: really do have we have my well uh, my husband's two are older so we have a 21 um my biological son is 20 my um, his daughter is 19. And so those three are not at our house full time. They all live fairly locally, but, um, and then at home right now we have 17 and a half, 16, 14, seven, four, three, 10 months. And actually right now we do have an eight year
0: old foster child as well. Wow. (laughs) That is so. That's a lot. That's a lot of kids. And so, how many out of all the kiddos that are home, how many are either diagnosed or have suspected FASD? (laughs) Well, there comes the insanity part, right? Um, Because the first three that were sibling
1: set, the the 17, the 16, and 14, they are all um, diagnosed um, full FAS. And then the three youngest, the four-year-old, the three-year-old and the baby are not diagnosed yet um, simply because we just haven't gotten. Well, part of the problem is, is we don't have a diagnostic clinic in Kansas anymore. And but we know that that they are absolutely um, affected. Um, Solomon was like I said, he had five illegal substances. In his system at birth, Abraham had four, and the the youngest had three different substances. So we know on top of that, in the drinking, that um, yeah, because you do this once, you just might as well. Go. You know, we I always say my life is like Groundhog Day um, <laughs> because like today I have a child who cannot, you know, he's four years old and he can't, he doesn't know how to put his shirt on because today we just don't even know what a shirt is. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Wow. Well, I have two, <laughs> two teenage boys diagnosed with FAS and you've got three. So I know that that is quite the.
1: Well, two um, of them are boys, the
0: 14 year old girl, she is the sole girl of the house. Wow. Wow. So, so I know like, you know, FAS, you know, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders are hard enough without the teenage like hormones and drama and stuff. And then that just adds another whole level of it. And then, and then you've got little ones as well. So what kind of symptoms, you know, do you see, what are the things that, you know, either alerted you or that you deal with on a daily basis, Um, just to kind of paint that picture for our listeners who might not be all that familiar with FASD?
1: Well, way back in the beginning, when it was just the two boys, you know, at six and seven you know, we had the, you're going to read 20 minutes a day. It's part of your homework for school. And, and that's what we're going to do. And so my seven-year-old really could not read. Um, and so we were going through some basic Dr. Seuss books. And at that point in time, the, the book of choice was hop on pop. And we would sit there and he would struggle to sound out um, the words of the page. You know, when we'd work through the, the prime example is tall ball wall and you flip the page and it's the same words, you know, just a different picture in the background. Right. Um, and he couldn't recognize the word at all. Not like as it was a brand new word. And so at that point in time, I'm watching this kid, he's sitting still, we don't have any hyperactiveness, like we're working on this, this, hmm, there's more to this going on. Um, and so that's with them. I, you know, I, I knew that something else. So, um, now when looking at him, I really didn't see major facial features. So when I got his diagnosis, um, I was actually getting ready to teach a, a foster parent training and the doctor called me at like seven o'clock at night. So, you know, something's up if a, a doctor yeah. time a day, right. And he said, Hey, I just wanted to let you know, I'm going to send out this report, but I wanted to talk to you personally that that his diagnosis he's actually come back severe in all categories um because we did the photographic facial measurements and we did every you know so and i was surprised because i really kind of thought that this kid would come back um you know more like fetal alcohol effect or or something you know um because he functioned well in school um he wasn't you know my my six-year-old he was the the behavior problem and i say that but I can't uh, see the air quotes, <laughs> so you know for him, for the the seven year old seeing those issues and challenges is when I was like, okay, he came back with his diagnosis um and then you know he was that kid all through elementary school that I couldn't get an i e p for because he wasn't behind enough, he wasn't bad enough um and i'm I'm like I said, I'm kind of doing these air quotes, but um he, my six-year-old as he went through school he was the zero to 60 quick temper and and the school only ever saw a behavior problem out of him and and we struggled with that because they were perpetually putting him in a in secluded padded room and you know all these things that we know are not trauma informed and i'm trying to be educating our sy- school system at the same time um as as being their advocate and pal against the world um so, those were the things early on that I saw in them. And it's simple things. You know, we can't follow directions. We always had a chore chart that we could check off, and they'd ask for something. And I'm like, check your list, check your list, check your list. Um, and we would do things like folding laundry. Um, and then we would stack their laundry and roll an outfit. We'd put the shirt, the shorts, the socks, the underwear all together, roll it and it went in a cube in in my um master closet because they couldn't handle all that in their rooms and, and those kind of things. So that was the early on type of things. Nowadays, um it's the it's still the same, you know, um you know 51st dates the movie how you have to like the guy shows the same thing every day, right? I mean it's those things. Like there are days we, we have a farm now and my kids have chores because it's good and it's good skills and um you know clean fresh water every single time. Okay. I have lived on this farm for two years and they have had this same message twice a day. Clean fresh water. That's dump out the nasty water, that's clean the bucket or the container or
0: whatever. It's clean fresh water. Nope, we still every
1: single day struggle because there's someone there's
0: a lot of steps in that right like you said you have to dump it out you have to clean it out and then you have to add the fresh that's a lot of steps that's a lot of steps and you would think
1: you know and it's funny and it's not but you know my 17 year old has helped um I have a friend electrician who he's kind of mentored him a little bit as they were doing projects and and my son can remember how to hook up electricity ground neutral power Now, he has done cleaned the bathrooms in our house and houses for nine years, and he cannot remember sink, tub, toilet. And so we kind of joke because I was like, yeah, but, you know, Levi, you still can say ground neutral power. And you know that he's like, well, yeah, you know, I'm like, that's because you like that. He was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) You know it was a revelation like i can remember that because it's fun i'm like yes but you you do sometimes have the capacity um but yeah you know you have those multi-steps um they still they still struggle with that um so our house is pretty um structured and routine wise every day even though you know we throw a new foster kid into the mix and chaos happens or Now we're still trying to, you know, this is week two of public school for some of them. And so our days are messed up and, you know, but we'll get back into that routine eventually. But so those are the things, I mean, for the teenagers right now, it's the, um, the processing of multi-step tasks still that, that we can't do. Um, we just recently, like a month ago got cell phones, which is a disaster. Okay. Okay. Like, I will tell everybody cell phones are a disaster for any teenager. But um, and our kids, like my kids can't handle Internet, just like most of our kids. So we did get um, a gab phone, which is no Internet, no social media, you know, very basic texting. Um, But I got an alert already because one day, one day, my daughter sent 783 text messages (laughs) of course a lot of it is with friends and you know but it's one thing or you know and it's like you you can't bug the adults in your life like don't you know um but but yeah we got an alert from from them that said you know she used compared to the average user she used 970 percent more thank god it's unlimited like data (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's still learning, like learning those basic social cues. I mean, still at, at 14, 16 and 17, um, you don't just keep texting someone because you want to just chit chat for no reason. Yeah. You know I mean? Like, it's those kinds of things that we still see. Um, and then with the little guys, you know, like I said, I, my four-year-old, there are days where he gets up and he literally cannot he he can't get dressed because he just doesn't even know what article of clothing he has to even put on. So, um that's that's probably one of, you know, the biggest things we see.
0: Wow. Wow. So, you know, you started as a social worker, but you had really limited knowledge of FAS, right? And your first kids from foster care came basically came Did they get that diagnosis? Um, So at what point did you realize you needed to really take a deep dive into this and learn everything you can about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders?
1: When when my first, well, when my oldest got his diagnosis and then his brother and sister were shortly behind, you know, right in there, you know, they all were diagnosed around the same time. Um, I knew, okay, how am I going to survive? Because I had already told these kids i mean they're in care but they have we've already had conversations about um what if i can't go home what if my mom doesn't get her act together what and i had already told him you you can stay until you can go home or you're just you know you'll stay <laughs> i honestly really thought their mom they would go home i you know but god had other plans i guess i don't know or he just um felt that they needed what they needed here but um that was when I knew, okay, I've got to figure out how do I best help them? Because, um, I, I can't like the frustrations of us as a parent hitting our head against the wall every day, going over the same things. Like we've got to come up with, um, better way of, of functioning. So, you know, I started reading the books, you know, the, the, um, work smarter, not harder book, you know, like all these things. And, and, you know, 10 years ago, resources were not as accessible as they are now. Um, not as known, there wasn't as much. So that's when I started, I couldn't really find any trainings or information here in Kansas at the time. So I just started reading everything that I could read. I actually started training other foster parents, um, through the agency that I was sponsored with because they knew like, this is a big deal. And, um, and I, you know, I've done the governor's conference here in, in Kansas on, on child welfare and done FAS trainings there. And and so I just, you know, started at that point, like trying to get all of this. So I could not go crazy. That was really, you know, yeah,
0: survival, right? I think that's, that's really kind of where many of us start is I need, you know, what do I need to know in order to survive? Right. And then we don't want to just survive. We want our kids and our family to thrive. Mm -hmm. And then we realize how many other families are struggling and, you know, we share with them what, what we know. So, um, you know, did you ever get any formal FASD training, Mm -hmm. um, no, so you just kind of learned learned as you went and and gathered the resources and read the books.
1: Yeah. And then oh gosh, maybe about 3 or 4 years ago I sat through a training that Dr. Jones was doing and he's the the professional who diagnosed my older three. Um and I was like, "Hey, I really feel good because he's teaching everything that I teach. Like <laughs> I'm teaching what this guy teaches and he's like our local expert, you know, it was his clinic and, um, he's done a lot, um, in the past with, with FAS. So it, I was, I was feeling pretty good
0: yeah,
1: at that point. So,
0: yeah. So, so tell us about Kansas FASD support network. Sure.
1: Um, I through various avenues met up with, and was connected with Kathy white, um, about a year and a half ago, and two years ago, and we, um, just knew we needed more. Um, you know, she's, uh, parenting a little guy, um, that, that they've adopted. She's a, a bio mom, but you know, now they have one adopted and he's got FAS. And so it was like, we know families need more and more support. So as we were starting to advocate for, um, the FASD respect act and, and talking here in Kansas, we decided, okay, let's, let's start this um, organization. So we started this nonprofit. We've been around for just over a year. Um, so we have been busy advocating um, really. Our mission is just, you know, we're here to support educate and advocate for individuals and families that are impacted by prenatal exposure. Um, it doesn't matter if, it's adoptive child. If it is a foster child, if it is a biological, um, child, we're going to support, um, each and every family. Um, so we've done a lot with, with advocacy that
0: way and in, in training. That's great. And are, are you, you're a FASD United affiliate?
1: We are an FASD yeah. United affiliate. So we are the, we're the one and only right now in, in Kansas.
0: Yeah. Well, we're one of two in New York. So <laughs> yeah. There's so a, not yeah,
1: many of us, but, but we work closely also with, um, Missouri, um, and trying
0: to,
1: we have a lot of border towns. I mean, Kansas city being one, obviously a very large town that is in both States.
0: So, so we have some families that, that are, are back and forth. Wow. So awesome. Love the advocacy work and the support that you're doing there. Cause we, I know, you know, it's needed. Every parent needs that support. Um, it's hard to get a diagnosis, you get the diagnosis. And then it's, I shared with you earlier, it's here's your diagnosis, have a nice day. Then there's no resources to support the family. So all of the above needs to change, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, like, oh gosh, it was probably about five years ago. I met a a mom who had never even heard of, of, FAS until she was getting some, um, in intensive therapies for her, I think she was about 13 at that point in time, daughter, and, you know, they started telling her about FAS and she was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But now I'm glad that, like, there's a reason behind. I kept saying, like, we keep teaching and it's not sticking and we keep teaching. And and so being able to, at that point in time, even, you know, I was connecting with her. And I get it. I'm like, this is the things. And she's like, yes, yeah, she you really do get it. Because when you feel like you're this island um, and you think you're crazy because society around you and your community around you is like, oh, you know, just well, it used to be back in the day. Just love them; it'll be enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you know, people didn't know trauma. We didn't know yes prenatal exposure. We didn't know all these things that we, we know better now.
0: Yeah, for sure. Love is necessary, right? Yeah. But it's not enough. It's, it's not, not enough. enough in this to Fix
1: all of this and and yeah. permanent damage and it's that hidden disability and um yeah. And I think that's one of the challenges, was at least in in Kansas and and maybe several other states, but. You know, three quarters of our state is super rural. Yeah. Um, you know, so we do an online support group along with some in-person meetups and things like that as well. But um because we can't be islands, because we will go crazy.
0: Yeah, we need each other for sure. For sure. So let's let's switch gears a little bit because I know you homeschool. You've got some kids in public school. Uh you homeschool your three teenagers, right? Um, so What's working and why the homeschooling?
1: Well, way back when I decided to stay home full-time, part of the reason was is because they were behind in school. Um, They were finishing up third, fourth, and fifth grade. And, you know, like my third grader, my daughter couldn't do basic math. Like couldn't even do two plus two in her head. Like she couldn't just wrote things now of course some of that is is fas ability or you know lack of but um there was a lot that they just missed because of trauma because of you know the life that they were living and worrying about survival you know so we started um homeschooling and we actually start I started them all in kindergarten and we just progressively worked up at their pace in, individually um throughout the years um <clears throat> And so <clears throat> I guess um, one of the benefits to that along the way that I saw is the fact that if today's a bad brain day and I can't do math, I don't have to fit into the public school box. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so that has been really helpful. You know, if it's, if we're struggling on one of those days that um, we don't have to duplicate school at home we can be fluid and work with what kind of day it is um because my kids um i struggled with ieps um my my one kiddo had an iep because primarily behavior um because that's all the school saw my one they wouldn't give a an iep to because you're not behind enough and he's, he was the quiet type. He would just check out in class. And so he didn't act up and he just would check out. And so he was happy. He's personable. He's a sweet kid, And, um, so we struggled there because we struggled. My school district is one of those districts that, um, doesn't want to recognize fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. You know, we have some districts in our, our state that are great about realizing this is a hidden disability. So there's still a lot of work to do. Um, But they did um, after coming home, you know, we've kind of set up their own IEPs and and individual plans and things like that. So, so that's been a great blessing Um, now that they're older and we've hit a lot of those plateaus and really ability um, I'm giving them the skills and we're working on things, the life skills, um, how do you survive how let's look at basic functioning um in our state you know you could get a driver's license at 15 16 and um my 17 year and a half he's just not interested in driving um he does drive farm implements he drives things around the the, the farm but uh, he just I, I think even though he won't express it i think deep inside he's Deathly afraid of all that executive functioning that has to happen so quickly out on the road, and and mom's going to kill me if I crash a car (laughs) or hurt somebody or you know like just those kind of things, Um, which is okay. I don't want to totally push him, but that's one of the reasons why I even bought this property. I I bought this when I was single to move them out here, knowing pre planning that he's not going to live alone anytime soon. And we could just plop a tiny house out back.
0: Yeah. That's a great solution for our kids. I know that's been Natalie Vecchione's plan with their son and, and one of ours actually, because we have a a lot of land and we're in a rural area, even though we're in, in upstate New York. Um, But you know, it's that interdependence, like they may not be able to live fully independently, but they want to have some sense of that. So the tiny house or the apartment over the garage can be perfect solutions for our kids. Yes, totally.
1: And that's ultimately, um, I mean, kind of what we, we need for a community for all of our kids. You know, that 18 to 25 that they just, they're not quite there yet.
0: You know? Yeah. Yeah. I always tell all of my kids, well, especially my my oldest biological kids, even you know, the human brain's not fully developed until you're like 26. So talk to me when you turn 27, if you, you know, exactly. kind of in a joking way, but then when it comes to our kids who've been prenatally exposed, it's even later than that. And I've seen where, you know, I know I've, I've got one not diagnosed, but it's highly suspected and, you know, it, they, they're the twenties when they were in their twenties, it was horrible. And then, you know, now that they're in their thirties or early thirties, they're kind of in a much better place, but I think it's a combination of the disability and that age of, you know, where the brain finally is, you know, reaches its potential. It's later with our kids.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because everything that whole two thirds rule, um, you know, in their functioning is it, it catches up later. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's helpful too, um, you know, when like I said, when I first knew about FAS, so gosh, 15, 18 years ago. Um, Nowadays, our kids can function and individuals as they grow can function in society because everyone carries a smartphone. Mm. Everyone has a built-in external brain and they don't look any different if they're not a neurotypical kid. You know, our kids can fit in and that's one of the reasons why I looked at phones because they can put a notepad in there. They can put reminders in there. They can do, t- you know, all those things that then they're just a quote normal kid and they yeah. fit in with their peers. Um, and that's easier for a lot of things because, you know, if they have three things they need to remember and we tell them those three things and they walk off, we all know they're not going to even get half of probably one, correct? Right. <laughs> but if they put it down in their phone, now they can go back right. to phone. No, hey, I know I got to go back to that
0: note. You know, I was supposed to yeah. do something. What was I supposed to do?
1: And they can go back for that. So- yeah.
0: I do that, right? I use that. In the olden days, right, we used a paper list to go to the grocery store. Right. And now I just have my list on my phone so I can remember the things because inevitably I will forget something. Mm-hmm. And um so it's a, it's a great tool um for all of us, but especially our kiddos with memory challenges, for yeah. sure. For sure. So, so Kat, what, what would be your advice to any of our listeners, you know, who are foster adoptive parents, they're, you know, they're, you know, their children have experienced trauma, most likely, you know, there could be FAS going on diagnosed or not, but, you know, homeschooling has kind of become more of a popular thing to do in general nowadays, but. So it's kind of had this resurgence I, I I think you and I were both homeschooling back in the day when people thought we were crazy right yep. when, <laughs> but now it's like cool, kind of cool um but what would you say to parents who are listening who are thinking you know gosh, public school is just not working for my child and you know but yet they they're kind of con, you know concerned about I don't know if I could ever homeschool so what would what would what would you say to those families considering homeschooling?
1: You know, you hear that a lot and, and, you know, a lot of times you hear it even from, from families that, that don't have disabilities that they are dealing with, they're like, I could never do that. Um, and you'd be surprised of what you can do. Um, there's that thought of, you have to duplicate school at home, which you do not, you know, it's first off, um, the learning that happens in public school, those minutes, if you bunched them into your day you know you're not anywhere near an eight-hour day um and i think it's it's important to remember that it and i guess don't get me wrong there were times where i thought to myself like holy cow am i going to want to kill my kids you know because when you're all in each other's space all day long um you know you have to you have to give each other grace and realize, you know, if it's a bad day, just set it to the side. Um, We don't have to hit every single subject every single day um, and do what works for your family. Um, You know, there's still times that I struggle. I've been doing this for, well, you know, years with this group. Um, But, you know, family pressures or, or acquaintances that are like, well, you need to do this. And why, why is your, 17-year-old just working in, you know, seventh grade work. Well, I guess that's what his capacity is, you know? So like not being pushed to be feeling bad for what your kid's capacity is, be thankful. It's a blessing that we get to tailor their day and their learning to their abilities. You know, they're not in a box um, having to learn material that's way above their capacity. We can tailor that. If they're doing, you know, so what if your kid is doing second grade language arts and fifth grade math or if your kid, you know, really doesn't function very well. I I have a friend whose whose child as they were growing up was doing I mean I did kindergarten work for about 8 years in a row as they were teenagers because that was her capacity. Um, due to all that exposure. Um, so just keeping in mind that, that, you know, find what works for your family. Um, you know, normal is only a setting on the dryer. Um, you know, do what works. You know, like I said, with the clothes, you know, we did something different. Um, and and that's what you do. I know of of families who put a shoe and sock drawer at the front door because it's all there when it's time to go out the door you're not trying to find it um you know just be willing to be flexible um because it's definitely worth it in the long run i mean now that that we're looking at um you know seven years of doing this um we can focus on different things we focused on the 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 trauma and healing we could focus on you know, the heart issues, we can focus on really the important things. Because when it comes down to academics, not to say they're not important, but we can all research on our phone, how to do something or, or what this is. And um, and we want to ultimately set our kids up as they grow to be individuals that are successful, um, and, and productive, and, and yeah. enjoying life. So you know, how do you start prepping them to do that?
0: Yeah. I love that. A couple thoughts come to mind. One thing that would you just said, we can, you know, we all look up how to do things on our phone. And, you know, recently we got a new stove and um, there wasn't, it was, it was a, a new kind of modern stove. It wasn't just a generic kitchen stove. And I was like, I don't even know how to turn this stove on. But my son with an FASD loves to watch YouTube videos about how to do things. And we just typed in what kind of stove we had and we watched a whole tutorial about how to turn it on and what burner does what and that kind of thing. So, yeah, you can, you know, at, at our fingertips is we can learn how to do almost anything from change a tire to. Um, you know, right now my my son is interested in jet skis. He's advocating for a jet ski. I'm like go. okay, and uh, you know, but but he's watching you know videos about jet skis and all all these different features. So it they can they can learn things. The other thing which is interesting is because we homeschooled for years, and then my two boys who are diagnosed with FASD went to public school in a special education classroom, and our district has. Um, it was a classroom, it's called a 1211 classroom. So there's, it would be a maximum of 12 students, and they really didn't even have that many in their classroom. One special ed teacher and one aide. And everybody worked on like the same topics, like, okay, we're going to study the solar system for science class. But everybody was studying it, reading at their own reading level if they could write or if they needed to use the the, the Chromebook to do the, to do the writing or the typing or be, have it read to them or, you know, and then they would do these hands-on projects. But everybody in the room was working at their own academic level because everybody was someplace different in every subject. But yet, you know, okay, for third period, we're all going to do math and everybody's working on whatever level math they're on. We're all going to read this book in class, but you know, some of them are having it read to them. Some of, some of them are able to read it. Some of them are doing, um, you know, they can have, have the device, read it to them. So, um, I started thinking that's so much like homeschooling because that's what we're doing at home, right? Everybody's learning whatever the subject matter is at their level. And, and they have, you know, us as the parent, as the one-on-one. Um, so, you know, it's very interesting. I find how the school has figured out that with, especially with children, um, you know, with, various disabilities, this is, this is how they can be the most successful because you can't force them into like, everybody has to do this grade level just because you're 12 years old, you know? So, so it's, and we can, we can do it at home. And because we know our kids best, we know when they just don't have, you know, just just like if there's a snow day or if it's going to be a snowstorm, kids are not paying attention in school when they know snow is coming, right? There's no focus on anything, but You know, and at home, what I have is, well, the UPS man is supposed to come and deliver whatever we ordered, right? Whatever, whatever we got off of Amazon, it's coming today. They're tracking it. They need to know there's a lot of that perseveration going on and there's no, they just cannot focus on whatever the math lesson is until the UPS man shows up with the thing, right? So, you know, so I know there's no sense because the brain has already checked out so we can be flexible and do other things. And um, so there's just, what I love about it is there is so much flexibility in um, just really, we can tailor make their education to what they need and focus on their strengths, help them with some of those things that they need help with. Um, and it's, it's I think overall for our kids, it's much less frustrating for them, um, a lot less anxiety and um, a lot less struggle, and they can feel much more successful. And they,
1: they don't have the stigma of, I mean, in, in a lot of our classrooms and in, in the, the special ed classroom, as they get into high school, um, everybody knows, like they don't want to be there. Yeah.
0: Because
1: that's just not cool. Whereas, you know, hey, I'm homeschooled. They're in special ed all day long here. But yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So gosh, Kat, you've got a lot going on parenting, a lot of kids with trauma and FASD, homeschooling, running a farm. Um, what do you do for self-care?
1: Um, you know, it's funny. Everybody used to ask me that, like, you know, my coworkers be like, you're single and you do all this stuff. You have all these kids and you bring in treats to work. How do you do all this? And I'm like, well, first off, my kids go to bed at 7 p.m. Wow. <laughs> now, now they don't all now, um, but that's only changed really literally in the past probably year or two. It used to be about 7, 7.30. My kids were all in bed. And now the littles are still seven, seven 30 and the, the bigs are really about eight o'clock. I mean, we're shutting down. They're going to bed primarily because that was my sanity time. You know, I could, I could have that, but because of their trauma and their histories and their brain, their brains are going all day long. Yeah. And so, I mean, they just need, need sleep. Um, so that's first, you know, have a good, good routine. And then, um, the other thing that I love to do is I love teaching and training. So I do teach the state required um, foster and adoptive parent classes here in Kansas, um, and I I love to go out and teach on on FASDs whether it's schools, districts, wherever I can get in. Um, I've done some some trainings for some various agencies around the state, and those are my self care th- things. I, I love doing that.
0: Mm, very good. I know. I know for me, podcasting doing trainings, you know, reading, writing, those things are all very therapeutic for me as well. Um, And I love, I love the early bedtime. It's harder when you have teenagers though, right? Because they don't always see it that way, but, um, but definitely.
1: Ironically, my teenagers haven't figured this out. Now, you know, the, the 19 and 20 year old that don't live here full time are like, yeah, let's sleep. Are you kidding? (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, it's funny. The other ones haven't like gotten into that. Like, Oh, sleeping is fun. Sleeping is good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: I like sleep. So (laughs) but as we wrap up, um, you know, leave us with any really last thoughts. What what's on your heart that you would really like our listeners, those foster and adoptive and kinship caregivers that are listening. Um, what would you like to say to them?
1: Gosh. Um, you know, I think it's just important to know that that you can do it. Um, it's hard. You're not alone. Um, there's always those of us that are out there that you can talk to, that, that can be a sounding board. Um and, and really one of the other things is is just the faith part of it for me is knowing that um I read a book Kisses from Katie. Yes,
0: yeah, me too. <laughs> um,
1: it Talks about how adoption is the the like hardest, ugliest, but best, most rewarding thing that God really calls us to do. Um, you know, because one of my life verses is is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I think that's our job for our kids. Um, you know, we know God's got a plan for them and we just kind of have to be the vessel to help guide them um and and be the best that they can be so I just I you know everybody can do it even though they say they can't or think oh I could never do that I said no you can you know God's got you
0: (laughs) yeah yeah that's the key right there right I think I think some days it's it's pretty impossible but God right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well Kat, thank you so much for sharing your story and for all that you're doing with that great FASD advocacy in Kansas. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, well, thanks for having
1: us and having me. And it was was great um, being able to, to share. Thanks.
0: Thanks so much. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I hope you were encouraged by Kat's story and feel better equipped for your parenting journey. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode so you can find links uh, to all of our adoptive foster and kinship parenting resources, including my FASD 101 workshop, which is available online or in person. It's a 90-minute training about FASD for parents. You can sign up to host one for your support group, um, your foster parent training classes, Um, any of the things you can just get a group of of fellow adoptive and foster parents together for the class Um, uh, or you can schedule one uh, one one-on-one with me or a um, a, a virtual class online or even in person. Um, So you can learn all about that um, on our website where also you can learn about becoming a member of our Hope for the FASD Journey online support community hosted by myself and Natalie Vecchione of FASD Hope Podcast. We bring a combined 40 years of adoptive parenting experience to the table through our bi-monthly support group meetings, VIP conversations, and private private Facebook group, which includes weekly devotionals for encouragement but you have to be a member to access these vital resources. Um, And we know that community is so important because this journey can be very isolating and we want you to find community. So you can join our community um, or even find our trainings and other resources. Everything is on our nonprofit website, justicefororphansny.org. Just click the training tab and the drop down to FASD um, or also we will have a link in the show notes. Uh, JFO is a platinum sponsor for FASD United's Run Fast Virtual 5K that you can run, walk or roll anytime, anywhere during the month of September. September again is International Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder Awareness Month. So to participate, to learn more, you can go to runfasd.org. Also, check out my family's adoption and kinship journey story in my award-winning book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. It recently won a Golden Scroll Award for Memoir of the Year. You can grab a copy wherever you buy books if you order from Amazon, you can get the paperback or the Kindle version. And I would ask if you would do me a huge favor after you read it to go back onto to Amazon and leave a book review. Those are like gold to authors. Um, also, if you'd like a signed copy... Uh, which includes a special gift book bar- bookmark, you can order from my website, sandraflack.com, where you can also learn more about me, read my blog, and contact me for speaking opportunities. I'd also like to end with a shout out to our uh, business sponsors that helps our nonprofit do what we do. Trinuclear Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, National Bank of Koksaki, and Coleman Insurance Agency, These businesses care about children and families in crisis, and they help us do what we do. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure you subscribe and let your fellow adoptive and foster parenting friends know so that they can be encouraged and equipped as well. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And you can also follow me at Sandra Flack. Uh, I'm grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today, and I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast brought to you by Justice for Orphans.
1: We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.